0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve.
1: Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. I'm the founder of Lead Above Noise, a firm specializing in helping companies retain, engage, and develop their talent. And today, I'm excited to bring you this interview with self-care expert and consultant, Rachel Kenarowski Rachel is the founder of Year of Living Better, a learning hub for developing the eight key habits that unlock wellness. Since founding her company in 2020, She's applied her expertise in strategy and communications to transforming workplaces from systems that increase stress to systems that enhance well-being. Her clients include Google, the American Lung Association, DDB, and more. So if you've seen any signals of anxiety or overwhelm creeping into your workplace, or you're just looking to keep well-being at the forefront, then this interview is for you. So Rachel... Kanarowski, founder and principal consultant at Year of Living Better. Thank you so much for joining me on Modern Mentor
2: today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you.
1: So, Rachel, you have a particular expertise in the realm of well-being, particularly in the workplace. I know you yourself have had a number of very high-stress, intense, corporate jobs in the past. So you certainly have lived on this side of the wall, you have since really amplified your own knowledge and understanding of well being and what it means and how we normalize it in the workplace. And most importantly, what we can do about it. So not just talking about the importance in paying lip service, but really working with organizations and teams to bring that awareness, but more importantly, kind of the tools and the skills and the practices that really help everybody to be well in the context of work. We all know that we cannot do our best work from an empty cup. So we are going to talk a little bit today about some of the essential habits for well-being. We're going to talk a bit about a workshop that you run for organizations called SelfCare 2.0 which is a really nice blend of insight and information and also tools and tactics. So I would love to start there if you're up for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you said, I have come from a long career before launching Year of Living Better in the corporate world. I worked in a lot of high-stress jobs. I launched one of the international editions of InStyle Magazine and worked as their editor-in-chief right after the financial recession started in 2008. You can imagine launching a magazine in a foreign market when there weren't a lot of advertising dollars going around. It was a, a pretty stressful time for me and my team. I've had the honor of working with a lot of the major Fortune 500 companies here in the U.S. afterwards as a consumer strategist And I got really curious in my own life, we're taught that you climb the ladder and there's some kind of successful feeling that's going to come from getting the salary, getting the the title or the opportunity to speak at a conference. And I think like many of us, I started recognizing that um, there wasn't that end point and I wanted to find a way to feel a little bit more satisfied day to day. Year of Living Better was originally created as a project out of my own curiosity. What does science say about what actually increases our well-being? And there's really fantastic work being done on that from academic institutions all over the U.S. The science of well-being through Yale University with Dr. Lori Santos is a fantastic opportunity to learn about what those things that we think will make us happy but don't. And what I found was in all of this research in academia, there was a lot of research on kind of what doesn't work and a lot of confusion on what actually does. And so I started to create a framework for myself. How could I feel a little bit more satisfied? How can I feel more joy and, and excitement in my day-to-day? And launching my company as I'm working in corporate, the pandemic of 2020 came And like many of us, suddenly my whole world changed. All of those habits that I had set up to feel like I was thriving and living the life that I hoped to live suddenly a lot of a lot of those daily behaviors, those those places I would go, those people I would see, weren't accessible anymore. And I really had to step back and start to look at how does the amount of stress that we're experiencing, baseline needs, how those are being met, how does that impact our pursuit of well-being? And that led me to developing this workshop that I now call Self-Care 2.0, really like a new operating system. If we think about ourselves as kind of operating systems, and how can we work better with the physiology that we have, with the Way that our brain works and what we know about neuroscience. How can we work more creatively with that to help us get back to a baseline, okay, in these really stressful years that we've had?
1: That is fascinating. That's such a wonderful backstory and thank you for sharing that. And I think that we're all collectively sort of in this space where we've been waiting for a few years for life to feel quote unquote normal again. And I think, you know, some of us are starting to realize, you know, whether this, we're in the new normal or, you know, normal is no longer sort of the North star that we should be heading towards. I think a lot of us are, are looking for something, Right, we're looking for something to maybe give us a feeling of some kind of stability or predictability. Um, there's definitely something that I just I feel like we're searching for, even if we can't necessarily name it. And I'm curious, and I definitely want to spend some time talking about the workshop and what what are some of the things that you've learned, and in turn have started to teach some of those amazing organizations. But I would love to start maybe a little bit backwards. I'm curious. What sort of outcomes or changes or results have you seen people experience as a result of having participated in a self-care 2 program?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the workshop itself, and I'm happy to share those tools here with your audience today, the workshop itself is really comprised of three pieces. The first thing that we really focus on is understanding the research around stress and performance. The second piece, we go into a practical understanding of our nervous system. How does stress impact our nervous system? What's the state change that we experience in our physiology? And then the last piece is, how can we use that knowledge to apply to creating a proactive map for our own needs related to stress and resilience? So, Each of us comes to the, you know, the table, the webinar, whatever it is, the Zoom with our own lived experience, with our own personal preferences, with our own, you know, experience in our body. You know, I often question a lot of traditional workplace wellness, which is based on things like weight loss challenges that can be so fraught with problems around inclusivity and accessibility, we need to, of course, understand what are the facts related to how we resource ourselves and how we create resilience in our body, in our mind, right? In our communities. And we need to incorporate in what our own lived experience is. Because I always say to the communities that I teach, when it comes to stress and its impact on your life, you get to choose what's right for you, right? So as long as you're not doing anything that, of course, harms another person or another community, you get to make the choices that work for you. Um, You know, we've all done that late at night Google search, you know, like how to stop burnout, you know, how to stop burnout for mothers, for working mothers. And I'm not just giving these examples. These are auto-generated responses that Google will suggest because the search volume on those late night searches has been so high. And what we usually get is some sort of list, you know, sleep more, drink more water, exercise, and all those things are fine suggestions. But how that shows up, how we practice some of those things, and whether or not those things actually help us feel resourced if we're stressed if we're feeling that stress as anxiety or anger or annoyance, or if we're feeling that stress as more disassociation, shutdown, depression, sadness, kind of closing people off, disappearing protection through that disappearing state, getting more sleep is always a good idea, but it's not necessarily going to be the only resource that you need in order to help yourself start to feel more if I can, you know, use just a, you know, a simple idea more like ourselves again. You know, what I'm thinking
1: about as you're talking is, you know, people are, are searching Google and they're finding advice like get enough sleep and eat well. And I, what I think I hear you saying is that we really should all be doing those things, but most of us also need something beyond that. Um, I think most of us have heard that advice at this point. And if you're feeling sort of dark and depressed and you're not sleeping well, certainly that is a healthy starting place. What I was thinking of as you were talking is, so I am to your point, I am a working mom. And so that's very much my mindset. That's very much my experience. I'm juggling a lot. I am looking for efficiencies. I'm looking for productivity. And I saw recently online, there was this news story about a grocery store in, I think it was maybe in Sweden. And they had they had gone to an all self-checkout model because they had found it to be so much more efficient. But they had recently launched a new lane that was a non-self-checkout lane. So it was a staffed checkout lane specifically for the community of elderly people who are lonely and don't have anybody to talk to in their days. It was their slow lane. And I think they even called it their slow lane because they came to recognize that some people need efficiency and productivity and some people really need human connection. And, and I think that there is, it's very easy to assume that our needs individually are universal and they're not.
2: Absolutely. I love that as a concrete example of individuals at checkout choosing what's right for them. I know yes. that the Aldi near my house recently put in mostly self checkout. And if I have more time, I actually still do choose the checkout with the staff from stores because I. I've gotten to know them over the last several years that I've been shopping at that store. I don't necessarily know them by name, but they know me by face and I know them. And it's really nourishing and interesting for me to have that human connection at checkout, but I get to make that choice for me. And similarly to the elderly in the study that you're referencing, I live alone. I'm not a mother. you know. I, I work from home. And so the lack of in-person connection is something that I have to recognize and think creatively how I'm going to address it. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com.
0: From a flat tire in the city
1: Rachel, you and I over the past few years have certainly, we've taken our businesses in a new direction. We are now largely working remotely and virtually. We, we play in some of the same sandboxes. We're talking to some of the same organizations, the same leaders. And, you know, some of the buzzwords that have come up a lot for me and I have to assume for you are words like stress and burnout. And a part of me feels like it's great that those have entered the vernacular. People are starting to pay attention to them. I also feel like we've started using those words so ubiquitously, we've lost a little bit of touch of kind of what they actually are and what they mean. And I know that you have studied in this space. And I would love it if you could maybe bring a little bit of clarity, a little bit of tangibility to some of those words, what they mean, what we do with that.
2: Absolutely. That's a great question, Rachel. The work that I do foundationally starts with a conversation about stress because i find that as a culture at least in the systems the community systems the family systems that that i grew up in from the 1970s through today we've had a narrative of you know you might be experiencing some stress you might be experiencing a, a difficult emotion just push through it just like you're fine you're fine everything's fine you know kind of get over it move through it and For many of us, the events surrounding the pandemic were the first time that we might have experienced an absence of some of those basic needs being met in our life. Maybe we were laid off or a loved one was laid off. Maybe suddenly we we were not able to get enough rest because our caretaking responsibilities had increased and we were having to work late into the night to get things done. You know, there are so many shifts that happened with when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Some of those basic needs were threatened for many of us during the period of the pandemic, and it wasn't a temporary change. So I really want to normalize that the amount of Of stress, even if the stress came from uncertainty, which our brain is not meant to process as much uncertainty as we've had, when can we make regular plans again? When can we know that this will happen and and feel fairly sure of it? That stress of uncertainty plus the stress in all of the other areas of our lives, it adds up. We do not go to bed and then wake up in the morning with a reset Amount of stress, unless we've actually taken the time to address one of the things that's stressing us out head on. And when I'm when I'm talking at organizations, I know that a lot of individuals in that room have some of their basic safety needs still unmet. And I want to normalize that this is not something that if we keep pushing through for 35 days or six months, or whatever this magical timeline is, it'll just go away. Stress is an indication from our body, not that we're failing in any way, but that we really need to turn our attention towards something which feels unsafe. And our brain actually really responds well when we are getting towards that overwhelm feeling or that burnout feeling. Our brain will respond better to an acknowledgement to ourselves, I don't feel good right now. We feel like that's admitting failure and we'll be inviting more of the badness in when in reality, our amygdala, that threat sensing part of our brain, which acts as kind of fire alarm, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, right? It's getting stress signals from the body and it's saying to us in our brain, pay attention, pay attention. Our amygdala really likes it when we can at least say. This isn't okay. I don't even if it's I don't know how to solve it, but I don't feel good right now. And naming and labeling as well as we can, that experience that we're having tells that fire alarm in our brain, she heard the signal, he heard the signal, and it helps to reduce the amount of stress that we feel. Momentarily, so we get more access to that creative part of our brain where we can do a little bit more creative problem solving. So that's why it's really important to recognize if you are feeling like you're just at the end of your capacity for the day, but you still have to get things done, it's important to pause and to start to understand how you can resource yourself in that moment.
1: Any suggestions?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the key is to first understand what state your physiology has gone into. And there's three general states of the experience that we have in our nervous system. When we were younger in school, we probably all learned that there were two states. You have rest and digest, and then when the tiger jumps out of the bushes and wants to eat you, you can either fight the tiger or you can run away, right? So we have fight flight. And at some point it started to get more common that we would hear the word freeze tossed in there as well. But when I think about freeze personally, and language has so much power, I think about kind of a temporary stop that has some sort of anxiousness behind it, right? Whereas what we're really looking at is your nervous system getting a signal. There's a tiger, right? And you're either fight-flight, which is that sympathetic nervous system activation, right? Our our heart starts to beat really fast. Our lungs have more capacity to breathe and run away. All of that blood kind of goes towards those organs and away from your extremities. And the other state, if the threat is so life-threatening, and we see this out in the wild with animals, um, we see it with humans too. And humans experience something that is deeply, deeply threatening, we can completely disappear, right? We don't physically disappear, obviously, but we might experience that as a loss of consciousness. We might experience that as a kind of a fading away. Those are the extreme versions of this freeze or this kind of what I like to think of as a shutdown state. But in another sense, that is the state where we feel grief, we feel sadness, we feel depression. I am also a certified mindfulness meditation educator through UCLA, and I went to the literature on how to use mindfulness in a scientific way to work with depression. And the suggestions that were made didn't land for me. I could tell, I could make the choice for myself, meditating right now isn't actually improving anything. And so I needed to start to make the list of what are the things that are helping me to feel better and to ultimately move my body more into activity because your nervous system needs to move through the states in order. So if you are in the state of shutdown or fogginess or Just feeling that need for isolation. You can attend to that need. And there are certainly ways that I resource myself that are like going and getting in a hot shower. That's something obviously I do alone. And it's very helpful for me in that state. But even the movement of getting up and going to get into the shower brings my body into some sort of activity again, right? It's moving me towards the activity state, which you need, is needed for getting into that sympathetic nervous system activation, which is where we might experience anger or anxiety. I'm not trying to make myself angry or anxious because the state of that sympathetic nervous system activating that heartbeat, those the lungs pumping, right? That's also what we need in order to activate into play, into being active and doing sports, all of those things that are a positive way that we experience that sympathetic nervous system activation. So for someone whose stress levels or burnout is making them feel really angry, you don't need to move into the shutdown stage. You're already in the sympathetic nervous system stage. You have to figure out ways that you can actually organize that chaotic energy that comes from feeling just really pissed off. Or somebody might experience this more as anxiety, right? So how do we organize that anxiety a little bit instead of it just feeling chaotic? So the key that I really want all individuals to know and why I think it's so important to share this through the workplace. If your listeners can come away from this podcast with one concrete tip, it is, if we can really recognize when we're stressed, if we are feeling more of that heart pumping kind of like nervous energy of anxiety or that like, like red hot energy of anger. Are you more there or closer to that? Or are you feeling more like you're losing focus, right? That might be how this looks during an average day. Are you feeling more like a general sense of dread that's leading you to kind of disengage a little bit like that right before the conversation that you've been dreading with your manager which of those two states are you going into or maybe it's not the manager maybe you are the manager and you're about to have that conversation with someone in your team right you haven't been looking forward to it which way are you feeling are you feeling more of that dread? Or are you feeling more of that anger, annoyance, anxiety? And what works for you when you're in those states? So some people might find that when they are in the dread state or the kind of loss of focus state, taking a few mindful breaths or turning on that guided meditation that they already have on their phone might be really helpful for them. And Others, like myself, might find that not helpful at all and bordering on annoying. So what works for you in these states? And the best way to start to make those lists for yourself is to imagine a time when you felt that, make a little note of it, and start by working with a time that you felt that you were in that kind of foggy, shutdown state. What would have worked for you then, right? Maybe looking at the type of self-care that's recommended in these lists that we might Google or the things that you've done in the past. Do any of those things actually help you feel better in that state? But it's really important that we bring a bit of curiosity to creating the start to these lists so that when we feel that we've gone into this state of stress, we can reach for that list and we can try to do something on it. If you have to work from an office, your list needs to include things on it that you can also do if you're in that office. So maybe you need to like get up and go get a coffee around the block. So you just add a little bit of movement in and you are getting out of that situation, giving yourself a break for a second. I've heard so many conversations, Rachel, and I'm sure you have too, about stress, about burnout. During the last several years, I have not heard a lot of concrete tools we can use that reliably work for everyone. But this approach, if you work the approach, will reliably work for you. It will reliably work for the children in your life, if they can learn this approach, it will reliably work for your other coworkers who have completely different needs and life experiences. Um, it's it's not a prescriptive answer, but it is a scientifically based approach.
1: That is really good to know that there is science behind that. It, you know, it's funny. I run a program called Leading Through Change and Uncertainty. And I would say a lot of what I teach in the realm of moving yourself through uncertainty is is very analogous, because there is so much stress that comes with the uncertainty. And I talk very much about something similar about having that list that is customized to you and having that written ahead of time. And I liken it to, and my husband will be the first one to tell you that when I start to get really hungry, like my blood sugar dips low, the worst thing you can do is ask me where I want to eat or what I want to eat. Because in that moment, (laughs) what I eat is your, I want to eat your face right off your face. Like I am (laughs) raging. And So my family has learned to prepare in advance (laughs) a list when I am satiated of where would be fun to go or what would be fun to have, and then they know how to manage me in the moment. And it's, yes, vaguely ridiculous, but the point is when you are in that state, you cannot think creatively or thoughtfully or how best to be kind to yourself. And so I I am a big believer in having that list ahead of time, but I have not personally validated that scientifically. And so I appreciate you.
2: I think it's very important uh, for all practitioners in this space, particularly in the corporate space, because so much corporate wellness has in the past has has done harm, unfortunately. It's really come from limited perspective um, and frankly, a, a lot of hearsay, which really concerns me. So I think it's very important to not just make sure that there's science to back up these principles, but also to look at some of that primary research. I get really nerdy and I don't expect everyone who comes to my workshop to have to go and read that primary research, but a lot of these studies are based on populations of mice and not humans, or they're done on really small sample sizes or very homogenous sample sizes. So mostly Caucasian, mostly female undergraduate students at a prestigious academic university. It's going to be a really different answer that you're going to have out of those studies. I find one of the things that I find the most mystifying is... The research done on stress and performance, Yerkes-Dodson, the Yerkes-Dodson Law, we've seen this in management books and psychology 101 books, you see a bell curve, right, of how much stress uh, you can have before the bell curve starts to dip. So it's it's a stress and performance scale. This research was done on mice around the turn of the century. Who were being electrocuted as they tried to exit a box through either a white door or a black door. I am not willing to look at that research and say, yes, this is the gold standard, and we need to talk about how to increase stress in our life. You know, most of us don't need any more stress right now in order to have good performance.
1: Rachel, this has been so rich and so thoughtful. You know, before we close, I would love to just ask. If somebody's an individual contributor within an organization, and then separately for somebody who may be a leader in an organization, what are just one or two kind of quick, tangible things that you hope each of those two avatars takes away from this conversation?
2: For individuals, I hope what you can take away is there's nothing wrong with you if sometimes you are feeling closer to burnout. And the only way to truly address that is by looking for areas in your life that are causing this stress and starting to work through those things. But in the meantime, you can feel better day to day by just learning how to resource yourself in that moment. Because until we are resourced and feeling more okay, it's going to be hard to address some of those bigger challenges that are causing the increase in our stress. For organizational leaders, I think it's a really important time to be reevaluating how you can show up for your team, not to try to fix every situation that might come along, but to both model that you are taking care of yourself and to creatively think about how we might work with the current benefits landscape, how we might work with internal communication. These different levers that we have within an organization to really increase trust, increase safety. How can we reassess and really pull those pieces together? Because we do have a responsibility to the people who work for us and we can't fix everything for them. So we have to have trust that they can respond as needed for their own needs and understand that we need to make sure that the things that we're providing, the Company policies, the benefits, all uh, team norms are not increasing stress unnecessarily, but actually are creating systems that can enhance the well being of the people who are in your organization and your team.
1: Amazing. Rachel Kanarowski, thank you so much for being with me today. I so enjoyed this conversation. I'm confident my listeners will as well. Thank you, Rachel. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel. Learn more about her and her work at yearoflivingbetter.com. Join me next week for another great episode. Until then, visit my website at leadabovenoise.com if your organization is looking for partnership in retaining, engaging, or developing talent. You can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Cameron Lacey.
0: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say,